Hello and welcome to Epicenter Bitcoin, the show which talks about the technologies, projects and startups driving decentralization and the global cryptocurrency revolution. My name is Sebastian Couture. And I'm Brian Fabian Crane. And today we're here for episode 45. Um, and for the first time in a long time, it's just the two of us. So we don't have a guest today. And we're going to talk about the state of Bitcoin report. So it's um, a report that comes out every quarter done by Coindesk. It kind of gives a comprehensive uh, summary of where Bitcoin's at. So I'm looking forward to, you know, today's show to talk a bit about uh, where we are at this current stage. So Sebastian, before we get started, how, how have you been? Uh, pretty good. Uh, really, really excited to be back on just the two of us, you know, like the original crew. Uh, it's, uh, it's been a while. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know when last when, when, I, I don't remember when we last did this, but um, yeah, I think I think the state of Bitcoin report is kind of a good opportunity to have a little fireside chat uh, to kind of like you say, you know, uh, go over where we are. It's, we've, I mean, personally, we've been uh, involved in the Bitcoin space for uh, almost a year now, and we've been doing this podcast for it's going to be a year and, and two months. So I think it's a good opportunity to, like you say, you know, go kind of look back and, and see how we've progressed in the last year. So the, the state of Bitcoin report, uh, as Brian said, is uh, published by Coin Summit. Uh, uh, sorry, by CoinDesk. And you may remember that during our coverage of Coin Summit, we uh, we released a presentation by Garrick Hellman where he present presented the quarter two. Uh, report. So I guess we'll probably also be able to do some comparison as to how things have evolved in, in a court in the last quarter as well. So uh, before we get started, let me ask you, um, I, one thing I've done before the episode today was because I wrote a blog post on January 1st about my predictions for this year. And so I kind of went back and looked at it and it was like, oh, how wrong was I? How right was I? Um, and I'm curious, we're going to come back to some of the details later, but I'm curious uh, to hear from you. What has surprised you, I guess, in the last year or since you've been involved? What has been different than you would have expected it to be? Well, I guess there's a couple of things. Uh, I mean, for one, I think a lot of the predictions that we made at the beginning of the year were good predictions, but I think they were probably a little too optimistic and maybe uh, somewhat misinformed. We were just getting into this. We had a lot of, uh, I guess, high expectations as to where the, the space was going to, was going to go. And if, if I can jump yeah, in here, yeah. I guess we can talk about predictions now. So, I, you know, I mean, I looked at them, I think in some, uh, in some areas, they were, they were over optimistic and, and one stands above everything, of course, which is the price. So I, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I wrote then that it was predicted it was going to be $5,000 at the end of the year. And obviously we're very far from that. Um, apart from that, you know, there was one, one of the predictions was that there's going to be institutional money coming in, like hedge funds, like institutional investors who are going to start investing in Bitcoin and trading Bitcoin. And, and that hasn't happened yet, as far as I can tell. Uh, I think it's going to happen. It's uh, uh, bound to happen. But that was definitely like premature. Um also remittances. I mean, I was more, I was more conservative with there with the estimation as it was like, ah, uh, like probably by the end of the year, there's going to be some remittance use in Bitcoin and, uh, and maybe that's going to happen. And so far probably hasn't happened yet. Uh, I haven't seen any signs. Yeah. I think that's one space where we're, 
actually quite hopeful that things were, were, were going to evolve quite quickly. But Well, I mean, if, if I read the prediction, it wasn't so optimistic there. It was really optimistic on the financial investors, which was wrong. Uh, but the remittances, it was like, I was pretty, pretty cautious. It was like by the end of the year, there will be some between some countries. And then that, I think it's still possible, actually. We have three months left. And, you know, it's possible that, for example, between the Philippines and the U.S., there's going to be starting uh, to be a significant amount of remittances done. And Bitcoin possible, maybe not so likely. It's probably going to take longer. But One, one thing that uh, that does persist in where you were right is the, the fiat bottleneck. Yeah, Although it's certainly gone better, I mean, Circle, not least, uh, with their credit card um, is a huge improvement, plus Coinbase is now available in a lot of European countries. But that being said, yeah, of course, it is still very, very much uh, kind of in the front of the problems we have today. Right, but I mean, the Circle and CoinDesk services are mostly t- geared towards uh, consumers. I mean, there, there's definitely a fiat bottleneck right now for for banks in a lot of countries. For I'm sorry, for companies in a lot of countries where they have difficulty uh, securing banking relationships. Oh, that's true, but I, that, that's not what I meant with fiat bottleneck. Now, fiat bottleneck was like, yeah, exactly, going in and out of Bitcoin, uh, and and that has you know gotten better, but obviously still not great in many cases. Although that has really gotten better quite quickly, I think that's especially Circle. I think is a huge step forward there. Have you tried Circle, by the way? Have you have you been able to pay to buy bitcoins with your credit card? Well, <laughs> I, I did try it, uh, but for some reason my card was declined. Actually, my my car, my bank canceled my card, and they're going to send me a new one. I don't know why. They said my card information was stolen from some website. Uh, they wouldn't tell me which one. I didn't, the person I talked to didn't know herself, so I couldn't try it yet. I mean, I've used Circle the wallet because I had to pay someone something. Uh, so I just sent her the money with Bitcoin because like, uh, and then you can send it to an email just like with Coinbase, you know, it creates like a new account. Uh, so I used it for that, but I haven't yet bought with the car through Circle. Uh, but as yeah, as I, I tried to do yeah. it as well, and w- w- what happened with me is that it kept telling me that my my billing address was uh, was wrong. Yeah, th- I had the same problem actually. Well, but I had people here, like a friend of mine in Switzerland bought some. I, we had one guy in the office who bought some. Levin bought some. Um, I think in general it works. But uh, I, I want to touch uh, maybe one more of those. Uh, well, two more. I pointed out. Um, from those predictions I sort of wanted to touch on, which was one was hardware wallets. For some, I, I predicted that would be hardware wallets would start to be used a lot because of the security issues. And, and that, right. that has definitely not happened at all. Um, and to be quite honest, I'm not so sure anymore. It will happen. I guess there still are. You know. I, I think there may be a, a market for hardware wallets with the more... Uh, you know, with the enthusiasts, um, and and this is where maybe we'll get to talk about this in, in a bit. Where you know the the large companies that what we call universals are building products and services for you know for the mass market, where uh, you don't have to worry about your bitcoins being secure because they're insured. Whereas you know the enthusiast or the kind of the hardcore Bitcoin user uh, who who has more ideology, uh, more of an ideal ideological uh, uh, attachment to Bitcoin will. Uh, will want to secure his his coins on a on a hardware wallet. 
Yeah, no, no. I, I don't think hardware wallets are for everyone. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think, um, I mean, I, I do think hardware wallets will come and, you know, in the future, perhaps you will have a company like Circle, you know, they give you some sort of like, like the banks give you it like a two factor authentication that you do with uh, some sort of hardware device or, but I, but I guess yeah, you're most right. Most people can do that with their mobile phones now. Yeah, that's right. Most do mobile phones. And when you have a hardware wallet where the private key is on your wallet, of course, even if it's more secure, you're still responsible yourself. There's no, there can't be any insurance for that. Uh, so I think you're right that most the mainstream uh, consumers will want, will prefer to have the sort of uh, secured insured service that's hosted, uh, like like Circle and Coinbase are providing. Um, and that hardware wallets, I'm sure they will come and I'm sure we'll have a good options for a cheap price at some point. Um, but they probably won't be sort of the, the broad answer to Bitcoin security. Right. So should we get into this report? Let, let's, let's touch one, one last thing prediction, uh, before we do that, sure. which was anonymity. I, I predicted anonymity was going to be a big issue, a uh, topic, you know, because of the blockchain is not so anonymous as we think, right? So people can perhaps trace uh, your payment history and uh, secret service, etc. So I thought like, oh, you know, this is going to be a big topic, like dark wallets and, and things like that. And that hasn't happened. Uh, I, I think, I suspect a reason is that the negative effect of that is somewhere down the line, right? Like, so you, you use Bitcoin now, use it in a not secure and private way. Like for example, I do, right? I, I'm not particularly conscious about like which change addresses and every time a new address and those kind of things to really keep you anonymous. Uh, and so of course that makes you vulnerable that in the future a secret service can come and look at it. And uh, But at the same time, it's, it's very inconvenient to try to do that. Um, and people don't do it, right? Because you don't feel the negative effects. Uh, and there was a related to that. There was an interesting, um, interesting thing on CoinDesk, I think, where they talked about dark markets and that dark markets still like exclusively Bitcoin. Nobody's using like dark coin or something like that for that. Yeah, I read that as well, and uh, I, w I was surprised, but then again, not so surprised because uh, I think that people tend to feel like they're uh, them using Bitcoin is is anonymous enough. Yeah, right. And of course, they may be wrong, but when they will realize it's too late. <laughs> yes, they'll be in prison. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's let's get into these uh, into this uh, say the Bitcoin report. Uh, I wish we had sort of, sort of a like Fox News, you know, rollover state of Bitcoin kind of thing with Wolf Blitzer coming. I'm sure you can do that situation room. <laughs> yeah, let's. I, th I think there's that feature in in Google Hangouts. Um, so what should we start with here? Uh, adoption, perhaps? Yeah, sure. Well, uh, I guess let's maybe what has your what's your impression today? How, how do you feel uh, the Bitcoin ecosystem is developing? Also taking account uh, what we've read in the State of Bitcoin report. Well, I think you you summarized it quite well a while ago when we were, we were discussing it before the show is this sort of, sort of slow growth. Uh, and, and this is mostly reflected in what we were just discussing uh, about our predictions early this year, is that there is growth, it's slow and steady, uh, and maybe we're, we're, we're waiting for that one 
I guess what everybody seems to think is that there will be one or so a few events that will kind of trigger off kind of mass adoption. This is what we're all waiting for. Uh, and perhaps that it's not going to happen like that. Perhaps uh, rather than being one or you know a few events that, that trigger out this sort of massive Facebook effect, mass adoption, uh, perhaps things will happen more progressively. Um Yeah, no, I mean, I do think that it's going to happen, that, that sort of uh, explosive growth. It's just will probably take longer. Uh, it is taking longer. And, and it may be in, you know, like somewhere it happens for some reason and, and it grows a lot and then perhaps it's stable for a while. Maybe at some point the financial crisis will cause a lot of growth. Uh, I think uh, th obviously this, this buying pressure is a big thing. But, but yeah, you're right. Uh, there was a nice quote in the report, which was that, Uh, Bitcoin ecosystem is in a sort of a quiet building phase. And, and I think that at least summarizes it well, sort of from my perspective as an insider. Um, but it's also funny because you mentioned this, oh, it's slow and steady growth. Of course, if you look at the actual numbers, it's like 20% up, right? User numbers in the last three months, which is actually a lot. Um But, but to us, I mean, I totally agree with you because the expectations are so crazy high. You think like, oh, that's... The expectations are crazy high. <laughs> <laughs> I, think this is, I think this is one of the big, what are maybe the, the problems of the, the, this whole industry. It was like yeah. a slow, steady growth of 20% a quarter. Like, how are we going to get anywhere that way? <laughs> <laughs> No, I think this kind of characteristic over expectation of the Bitcoin, which is sometimes caricaturized in the media. And you've got these little kind of funny YouTube videos that kind of caricaturize the typical Bitcoin user. And maybe we need to just take a step back and look at this, like you said, 20% growth a quarter is... Is, is quite impressive. I mean, I mean, I've got to say that that's But, the number of wallets, right? And that's, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so yeah, let's. I guess let's dive a little bit more into the actually adoption metrics. Right, there's a few mentioned. By, by the way, just so if people want to get this, they they can obviously find it on CoinDesk. It's also on SlideShare in the CoinDesk account. Yeah. Um. So what do we have there? So uh, it was like merchants up 20%, wallets up 20%, ATMs up 144%. So that's huge. That was totally expected, uh, I think, from my experience also, because I, I, I understand this pretty well because I tried to do it myself. Uh, so it, because of the regulatory stuff, it's so complicated setting up ATM in many places. You know, people buy them and it takes them like six months to figure out how to actually operate them. Uh, yeah. So that sort of delay, you know, that actually made that delay may still be there from like uh, all the people who bought ATMs during the, the, the bubble last year. Because uh, honestly, if I had bought it at the time and said like, okay, I'll try to go ahead, it probably would have taken me until now to find a way to actually operate it in Germany. Um, it, right. I mean, one example is MSO to Bitcoin that has a Lamasu machine sitting there turned off because uh, they can't, uh, they can't assure KYC on it. Yeah. 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 I'm sure that's the case for a lot of people. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's, that's kind of expected, but so of course, and, and you know, 250 it's at right now, it was a hundred three months ago. So I think that's, it's good growth. And I think this will continue Of course, there's a question how far it goes. In the end, if you are able to buy Bitcoins with a credit card, then maybe this is not so attractive. Uh, 
but I think they also have a, a function in the role. Um, but yeah, so so overall, it's a sort of this this kind of um, that's the sort of growth we're seeing, right? It's like 20, 30% in terms of users, merchants, et cetera. Yeah, except for market cap, which is <laughs> greatly reduced. But that's because of the because of the fluctuations in price which we'll get to. Uh, right. So now this is a this is a nice slide that, that kind of summarizes. So this is page six, which kind of summarizes the the, the growth that we've been seeing. Um, just one one thing to, to point out, and this is kind of misleading, is that merchants' annual revenue is eighty six billion. Uh, that's not eighty six billion in Bitcoin sales. That's eighty six billion is the estimated total annual revenue of all merchants accepting Bitcoin. Well, the main one. So, so it's that, sort of yeah, a stupid the figure. Ones. They just took like, you know, Dell makes $56 billion in revenues. They accept Bitcoin. So we added to these uh, revenues of Bitcoin accepting companies, which doesn't really make any sense if they, you know, sell 1.0% of their revenues in Bitcoin or something like that. Yeah. Well, well since, we're, since we're talking about merchants, uh, one, one thing that I find kind of interesting so, you know, to one of the, the statistics quoted in this document is 70,000 merchants now accepting or 76,000 uh, merchants now accepting Bitcoin. It says uh, so that's 40,000 using BitPay and 35,000 using Coinbase. So that, that's a big chunk of merchants using BitPay and Coinbase for their payment processing. Uh, I, I guess one of the good pieces of news that we've heard recently is that Coinbase is now operating in Europe. So as a, as consumers, it allows, it allows you to buy Bitcoin. I don't know if they have their payment processing solution also launched in Europe, but BitPay definitely has. Now, one thing that I've, that I've uh, noticed is that, you know, these, these companies are focusing a lot of their energy on uh, building partnerships with online stores where in reality, uh, it, it's it's still very cumbersome for a small brick and mortar merchant to accept Bitcoin. Uh, a lot of merchants where I've uh, where, where where I've seen them use the, the the BitPay or the Coinbase app, their their kind of feedback is that sometimes it doesn't work. It's it's difficult to use. Um, the fees also are 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 a complaint. So I think we're still waiting for a really good solution and a really like easy to use solution and like super simple to implement for small merchants well, like bars and restaurants. I mean, I think that's going to be, of course, uh, something like Square where it's integrated in something they already have. Uh, that's going right. to be the only easy solution is if you're already using something and then it can just be added on top. But for example, here in our space, uh, there's a cafe downstairs. They want to take Bitcoin as well. But they're using uh, a company uh, in Berlin called Orderbird. Uh, that's, you know, something like Square a bit. Uh, and, and the problem is they haven't integrated Bitcoin. So for them, it doesn't really matter how good the software is, how great the solution is. It's just running two systems in parallel right. is, is yeah. a problem. So if you can, but if Orderbird on the other hand said, hey, uh, you can turn on this Bitcoin functionality, they would do it in like immediately. So I, I think that's going to be a big part. You know, people don't, small shops, they don't want to run different uh, checkout systems, different payment systems. So I, I think that's why Square is, is great. You know, it's really exciting that they're doing this. 
Uh, but of course, Square is only in the US. Only in the US, yeah. So in Europe, uh, I, I don't know if there's going to be like a solution to this. I think it's just going to be, it's, it is, you know, it is a high friction process that sort of buying in the store and like figuring out people have to understand it. Uh, I'm sure we'll get, I, I think the answer is going to be integration into existing systems. And, and, and that's something that's happening fast. No, I mean, Stripe is also integrating Bitcoin as Square is. Uh, and, and those, I think a lot of those payment processing companies are, are looking into that. Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, obviously, they're all looking into it. But I mean, walk into, uh, I don't know if this is the case in other, in other countries in Europe, but just walk into 10 restaurants and bars here in, in France and how many of them are using a mobile device for payment. They're all using cash registers and, and bank uh, card terminals. They're using kind of this legacy hardware that uh, embedded hardware, uh, which yeah, of course that I think will be a lot a lot harder to yeah, yeah absolutely uh, to implement Bitcoin payments on absolutely. And of course, another issue is always the integration with accounting, and that's uh, can be a big problem. We have a, a startup here. Uh, that they're working on and trying to provide those kind of solutions. Uh, I, that especially becomes relevant if a company tries to hold Bitcoin on their book uh, and doesn't use a payment processor. So that's, I think that is a very big challenge. And uh, I mean, there's a, there's a reason, there's a big reason why all these companies are, you know, going to US dollars immediately or to euros immediately through a payment processor. And I think the biggest hurdle is just how do you like, how do you even book this in accounting? How do you make this move? How do you deal with security? There's so many barriers there. Uh, and, and the really good software solutions needed that make this kind of a smooth process. Otherwise you're not going to have that, right? You're going to have like people paying a Bitcoin and immediately sold on the market and, and companies won't use Bitcoin to pay their suppliers that way. Right. Which is, of course, undesirable because we want to have this sort of integrated ecosystem where everything's in Bitcoin. Now th th that's uh, maybe that's a good segue into uh, the, into the price fluctuations. Yes, that we've experienced over the last. Uh, yeah, Sebastian, months. what's going on? Can you tell me? Well, uh, well, what happened is I, I sold thirty thousand bitcoins, oh. <laughs> and that drove the price down. Sorry. Uh. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> no, I guess what, 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 what we should probably mention about this is obviously it, it, it is a big media focus. It, it, the, the, the Bitcoin price going down has been uh, largely covered in the media and Bitcoin media. And what's interesting is that over the last quarter, uh, so Coindesk does this kind of analysis where they look at their top headlines and says, okay, well, so last quarter out of the top 10 stories on Coindesk, four were related to price. No, seven. Uh, for this quarter, seven. Okay, yeah. No, but that's for last quarter. So for the, okay, this quarter, seven. seven are related to price. So I guess that goes to show that you know, people are more interested in price in the price going down. <laughs> but no, it yeah. just shows, I so, mean, uh, even four is crazy. You know, it just goes to show that people in Bitcoin are totally obsessed with the price. But it also makes a lot of sense. No, I mean, I, you know, people sometimes say, oh, the price is not relevant. I totally disagree with that. I think it's so relevant. It has such a huge influence. You know, all these uh, people, right? Like, like us, all the people working with Bitcoin and what the Bitcoin price, where it's at, has a lot of influence, man. Like, of 
goes up, then people have more money to start companies to invest, to focus fully on Bitcoin. Price goes down, people have to like maybe get a different job or do some work on the side, etc. Um, or you know, for example, if you think of something like Ethereum. Uh, you know, they raise this money in bitcoins and now the price goes down and all of a sudden they only have like half as much money as they, you know, had to did. They have a bunch of plans. They don't work anymore. Now you don't have, so this is, it has a, I think it has a lot of influence. And if you see the price going up a lot, let's say we go now up by a factor of 10. I think if you look at the activity, the startup activity, that's also going to be, that's going to be pulled by the price. It's going to explode in just the same way. Um, so I, I think the price is, is really important. Um, and, and I don't know why it's going down. I honestly have uh, absolutely no clue. No, I, I agree that the price is important. I, I don't think we'd be doing this if the price was one euro Bitcoin. <laughs> or maybe, maybe we wouldn't be so interested in it. But yeah. uh, but so th- there, are, there are a couple of uh, theories as to w- why this is happening. W- one interesting theory is that uh, the price drop has is influenced by miners having to sell bitcoins to finance the cost of their hardware as difficulty becomes as the uh, the difficulty becomes higher. I think that actually makes sense to me. I think that's one of them that I think like okay that I understand that to some extent, right? So I guess because also right maybe in the past it was profitable for some people to mine but now with the bitcoin price going down that profitability definitely goes down right then maybe they're just break even and then of course if you break even and if costs are as high as your revenues of course you're gonna have to sell all of them to cover your revenues uh, your costs <laughs> but on the other hand if you made some profit because the bitcoin price is higher uh you know then you could actually save the profit and and not exchange it so i think i saw someone i i i don't know where it was i don't remember so i can't uh, give proper attribution but i saw someone uh, did some analysis of what percentage of bitcoin i think maybe it was coinometrics um of what percentage of the mined bitcoins are held versus sold and that's changed quite dramatically you know it used to be that people mined and they kept their bitcoins and now people mine and they sell all of them or 80% or 90% are just sold immediately. Um, oh, do they? Yeah, no, I, I, I think it was 80%. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't have the source right now, but uh, we can look it up and put it in show notes. Um, yeah, so apart from that, I, I, it, it doesn't, honestly, it doesn't really make sense to me, right? So if you look today that the Bitcoin... Um, the Bitcoin, the total value of Bitcoin is about $5 billion, right? And then if you look at all the VC investment that's been, all this expectation about the space, I mean, it just doesn't seem to balance, right? Because if, if Bitcoin has so much potential, if it's going to be so big, then shouldn't the price be higher? Um, I mean, it only makes some sense to me if people say, or people think, oh, you know, cryptocurrencies are going to be very successful, but not Bitcoin, right? It's not going to be reflected in the Bitcoin price. Um, I personally don't really believe in that. I think Bitcoin's going to be successful too. But yeah, yeah. But when you say shouldn't the price be higher, but where's the where's the watermark for that? I mean, we have we really have no historical data to to have sort of a price, uh, um, a fixed price in our minds as to what the Bitcoin price should be. Sure, but the Bitcoin price could be, could be 
10 year, ten dollars for all, for all for all we know you know that that, that could be the 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 where uh, where it flattens out i mean sure but if you look at like the promise like you know people think like what could bitcoin do where could bitcoin go and then what would that mean for the bitcoin price you know you can see a certain like oh you know here's this potential that there is and that would mean a return of so many thousand percent or something and you can say oh what's the probability of that happening and what I think is a lot of people starting to build things and, and they really think there's a really high chance of this happening. But at the same time, the Bitcoin price doesn't reflect that because if you do believe with that probability that this is going to happen, well, then you should buy Bitcoins today because it was a great investment, right? So, uh, of course, also from a VC perspective. So if you invest in Bitcoin startups, it sort of underlies, you know, there must be some assumption underneath that of how likely is Bitcoin to succeed. And, and I think that assumption implies a certain price. And I don't see that price being there right now. Mm. Of course, for a VC, the complication is that they're generally not allowed to just buy Bitcoins, right? So they, they, they don't even have a choice. Like if they believe in Bitcoin, they have to invest in Bitcoin companies. But this is different for, you know, Richard Branson, for example, who's investing in all kinds of Bitcoin companies and also buying Bitcoins, I presume or as well to some extent. Uh, but so for, for other people, this is not the case. Um, but actually, maybe that's, maybe that's a good answer. You know, maybe that is part of the reason is that the only institutional investors that are investing in the Bitcoin space are venture capital firms uh, who are only allowed to invest in companies, but not under currency. Whereas the institutional investors that would be allowed to invest in the currency as well, like perhaps hedge funds, they, they haven't, they're not there yet. They, as far as I can tell, they haven't been uh, gotten involved really. So that may be a good segue into, into the VC section of this, uh, of this report. Uh, so what, what, what have you uh, taken away from, uh, from the reporting on the, on the VC growth well it's obviously very strong right so it's been increasing what was it dramatically um where were we at so we were it's like a 317 million in total of vc investments so that's up uh 40 so about 100 million in the last quarter yeah but less less vc investment in q3 than in q2 though yeah, with 13 but, million. Well, there hasn't been any growth quarter to quarter. Then again, there was a 30 million. Uh, there was just the blockchain, which wasn't in there. So, yeah. you know, I don't know. I wouldn't pay too much. Uh, it, it, it's not like it, it's just a few companies, a few investments really drive this. So it's not like we have such a big sample size that we can. True. Uh, but overall, I think it's really it's really strong in the US, especially. Right. Yeah, and what's interesting is how how Europe has has grown. I mean, that by much it was thirteen percent of the total VC investment in Q two, and now it's seventeen percent. And I guess uh, another interesting area where we need to look out for is uh, is Latin America, where um, it's the second highest uh, quarter to quarter increase. Although it still remains at one percent. Yeah, from, of the total from zero, from zero to two, from from, from <laughs> zero, right. But uh, but it is I think an area that that will 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 grow considerably. Yeah, yeah the people certainly believe it has a lot of potential. 
So um, I'm curious, what about France? Are there any uh, Bitcoin startups in France that have gotten VC money? This much. Zero. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I th uh, no, no, that, that is correct. In fact, no, there have been no uh, companies in France that have received VC money yet. There are some companies that are uh, doing rounds of funding. And unless you guess who, who those are, um, I think it's quite obvious which one, uh, but no, not yet. So they are in the process and will probably get uh, funding or? One is in process and is, uh, from, from, what I, from what I can hear, having difficulty securing the funding. Okay. Yeah, so I mean, in, in, in Germany, we of course, uh, actually this is quite relevant. So, because uh, <laughs> everyone who has uh, gotten some sort of investment, uh, I think institutional investment in Germany, uh, maybe one exception has been on the podcast. So, you know, Rotko uh, of Bitbond has been on uh, some episode. Uh, so he got the first sort of from a traditional VC in Berlin, uh, I think 200,000 um, yeah, 200, euros, I think he got. So that's, um, you know, sort of the first... Uh, the first proper investment and now there are the two companies, I think sort of semi-secret, but yeah, that they were get, gotten into an accelerator. So uh, uh, just across the street here. Uh, so that's of course not really an investment, but you know, I think they will have a good chance of getting one when they get out. At least I hope so. Um, so there's some, but of course very much at the beginning. And I, and to be quite honest, it's not just that people have difficulties getting investments, also that not that many startups are being created uh, here in Berlin, at least. And I think that holds kind of true across Europe. Yeah, I think, I think that for now, most of the startups, and this is illustrated in, in this report as well, is that most of the money being invested and most of the companies are actually located, I mean, a big chunk of them are located in Silicon Valley. Now, what will be interesting to see is whether or not uh, whether or not those startups will move to other places where there have more welcoming jurisdictions, like the Isle of Man, for instance. Ah, I highly doubt that it. Are trying to <laughs> <laughs> no, but really, I mean, look look at look at it. So, say, you know, there are sixty companies uh, from what we heard in, in last in the last show that are that are setting up in the Isle of Man. You know, if those companies are uh, large exchanges and they start rounding up funding, you know, at fifty million dollars a chunk. Uh, pretty soon, you've got uh, you've got an important amount of, uh, of VC yeah. funding coming in those areas. But I mean, I think what we would see probably is that people will set up maybe legal entities in those places. But you know, it's not like Coinbase is going to move their headquarters or something. I mean, I think you will continue to have that in California and Silicon Valley for the most part. Uh, and then, of course, some will start European offices. I mean, BitPay is done that already in Amsterdam. Uh, I think Circle has also, I think they op open an office in Ireland, uh, or at least they announced it at some point. And, and I'm sure that's going to be uh, uh, other companies that do that. Um, and, and it could be, of course, if the U.S. Has a, adopts a really hostile uh, regulatory stance uh, towards Bitcoin, that some of them will sort of move their legal company abroad and, you know, maybe just develop software in the U.S. that then is sort of, but they don't do um, maybe service customers abroad. Um, 
and I think to some extent, it's just that Europe, the European startup scene tends to be, well, one, it's a lot smaller, it's a lot less mature, and it tends to be, it, it tends to lack behind uh, the US and the Silicon Valley by yeah, quite some time. And I, I think that's a factor as well. Yeah, that's true. So you don't think this is a, a, a trend that is specific to Bitcoin, but it's specific just to tech, tech startups and, and VC investments? I, I think for the most part, right? I mean, if you look at the total VC investments, you would also have a huge imbalance. I mean, even a company like Uber, how much did they raise? Uh, like a billion or more? I, I don't even remember. Like huge amounts, right? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I. You think it was a billion? It was more, the it was more than a billion, yeah. yeah. But like yeah. how many, you know, how much of the European VC investment does that account for? A huge part, probably. You know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the figures are, but um, th there's definitely an imbalance here. And even if in Berlin we do have a, an active startup scene and there tends to be uh, money around as well, especially around, uh, you know, some people may have heard of, there was two IPOs of Salando and Rocket Internet of um, these uh, Samba brothers who started that originally. And those guys are very successful of them, uh, but they're really e-commerce focused. So there's a lot of e-commerce startups here, but not Bitcoin, you know, and, and I noticed that at our Bitcoin meetup, um, we don't get a lot of uh, startup people coming here. Uh, and and I think uh, I was just meeting with someone yesterday. He came back from. I think that's been the case pretty pretty, pretty much everywhere. Though. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I was I yeah. was talking yesterday uh, with someone who just spent two months in Silicon Valley. He came back as she came here, uh, and she said there, you know, there's just a an insane buzz and community, and everyone is like Bitcoin, and and they're like all this uh, all these entrepreneurs, all these developers starting Bitcoin things, and and I think that is happening there. And it, it, it's not so much happening here yet. Hopefully that will change. But Well, so th this is a question that, that we've talked about a lot is how do we bridge the gap between the, the kind of typical traditional tech startup scene and the Bitcoin scene? I mean, as, as two people that run meetups, I think we, we'd like to try to attract as many people as possible from kind of that other uh, startup scene. What needs to happen? I, I keep asking myself this question: like, how do I, how can I attract tech entrepreneurs to my meetups? I mean, I think uh, there's a few things. So, I mean, first of all, when I started the meetup here in Berlin, this was very much my goal of making that happen, and it hasn't happened for the most part. I mean, the, obviously, there are things like speaking at other meetups and speaking at tech conferences. So, I've done some of that. I've spoken at, at a startup conference here. It wasn't, uh, I wasn't, so I spoke about Bitcoin to people who aren't Bitcoiners and done that at some other meetup as well. So I think that sort of thing is, you know, is good. Of course, one has to do a lot of that. And I think a lot of it will just be, uh, you know, when people see that all this money is being raised by Bitcoin companies and perhaps when people have the first also European Bitcoin successes, you know, uh, you know, when you see examples of it happening around you, some, at some point people say, oh, maybe there's something there. Maybe I'll also start. Um, and in the end, it's a very much a sort of a, a one by one process, right? Somebody learns about Bitcoin. Uh, they actually uh, find it interesting. They understand it. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, maybe I'll do something there. 
Um, but it's slow because for most people, the sort of impression they have right now before having done that work of diving into Bitcoin is it's this um, weird thing, uh, some internet currency is like for libertarians and I don't know, like I hear a lot of people asking me, didn't Bitcoin die? Uh, wasn't, wasn't, wasn't that, didn't that die a few months ago? <laughs> Uh, so, so the the overall perception of people is very, tends to be pretty negative. I think people have haven't like spent time thinking about Bitcoin, and and, and that's a big. I find the overall perception te- seems to follow seems to follow the price. Of course, I think if we go up and now it goes higher than the past high, people are like, oh, this isn't actually high. Maybe there's something there, right? But. Uh, uh, you're right. The price is very important in that in that aspect, but I, I think public perception is definitely a barrier. And, and speaking of public perception, so it, while we're on the topic of VC investment, the, there are several categories uh, in which uh, VCs are investing. Uh, they're investing in exchanges, financial services, mining, payment processing, wallets. A, a lot of a lot of the investment has been going into wallets, but. Uh, the bigger chunk of investments have been going to kind of these universal companies, companies like Circle and Coinbase that that offer a wide range of products and services and that try to be sort of you know, on all fronts. Um, so I guess as, as these companies sort of grow and become these large multinationals implement, implanted in the U.S. And, and in Europe and perhaps even in, in developing uh, nations, um, places like uh, like Africa and South America, uh, I guess the, the I'd like to prognosticate on the future of these companies uh, as the as the the ideology behind Bitcoin is to have kind of sort of uh, decentralization, and these companies sort of represent, I guess, in the in the Bitcoin sense, some sort of banks. Uh, how will they be perceived by the the original uh, you know uh, people in the space? Well, yeah, I, I think I think maybe will 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 sort of the uh, ideological uh, Bitcoiners uh, stay away from those companies and most of the track mainstream users. And yeah, absolutely. I, I'm I'm thinking will there be a will there be a bifurcation of, of of Bitcoin into perhaps like this kind of mainstream coin and some other coins that are that are not uh, that that these companies don't deal with. Yeah, no, uh, I think absolutely. I mean, it's already happening. There's a lot of like, for example, here in you know in our little Bitcoin center, you know, Levy, one example. Uh, uh, hates Circle, Coinbase, all those companies. So sort of the idea of like people should hold their own private key, right? Like <laughs> that's that's very deeply ingrained in a, in a lot of people uh, who've, I guess, uh, come towards the more uh, ideological uh, old faction of Bitcoin. And then these new companies take a very different approach. And I think that's interesting, right? I mean, I guess one exception is Coin uh, Blockchain, who raised now thirty million dollars. And, and they're really a company that is built on this, uh, don't hold users' private keys. And the interesting thing is they may have a real advantage when it comes to regulations, right? Because they can uh, avoid a lot of regulations, um, at least probably, because they can say, we don't touch users' money. And uh, Circle and Coinbase and those companies, they won't be able to do that because they obviously are. 
Um, so that, that's one interesting aspect there. And the other thing is just user experience. It's just easier to build uh, a good user experience, I think, if you, if you take care of everything for the user. So if, if you allow people to recover their password if they lose it, those kind of things, um, they're just nice, right? I mean, it's, it's asking a lot from users to say, you know, so far you've been able to be extremely negligent with your passwords. You lose them, forget them, et cetera. You can reset them, you know, like you can choose like uh, monkey 12 as your password and maybe you get hacked, but you know, whatever. Um, and, and that's, you know, reasonable enough, you know, it's, you're not going to get your bank robbed um, and you can reset it if you forget it. And, and companies like blockchain or info, these wallets don't allow that. They can't allow that. And, and that's a real problem, right? I, I agree that the, the, the user experience is, is super important for adoption. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a user experience designer. This is what I do. Uh, uh, and, and I tend to be... Uh, I tend to 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 be quite appreciative of the companies doing things that are improving the the overall user experience. You know, companies like Circle, uh, guys like uh, like Richard Catano working on Handshake. You know, however, that sort of has a, an antithetical position to what the original kind of Bitcoin ideology is right to, to have these non non-centralized uh entities and to not entrust your funds to to a company with which holds your private keys and essentially stay away from from because I mean, you know these companies are sort of becoming bitcoin banks right so we're kind of falling into the same model that we have now so where where is the added value? You know, I know that there is added value no, this, in the sense that yeah. you have this money that is you know free to transmit and things like that but if we're getting back into this sort of corporate model where you have these large structures and large companies holding all the Bitcoin. I mean, I think... How is that, I, how is that different from what we have now? Yeah, I, well, good question. Um, obviously, you are giving up some of, the, some of the advantages of Bitcoin when you do that, but I, I don't see it as such a negative thing. I'm, I'm personally open there. I feel having a substantial amount of Bitcoin, right? Sort of the your savings. I, I would rather, I think, like keep that uh, personally, right? Like set up your own system, something like Armory. Um, but then yeah, people also, aren't going to do that, huh? Like people are people aren't going to do that. Yeah, I don't know. You know, maybe like who's going to set up Armory? You, 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 but maybe maybe you would. maybe arm maybe that sort of thing is also going to become much easier in the future with hardware wallets and on all of those things. Uh, maybe to a point where not your average user, but those really interested can, but not super crazy can do it. And and it's nice to have a choice. You know, it's nice to say like, oh, but I'm also going to use this circle or something like that. And and of course you're right. You know that that conflict is there. And uh, some people feel extremely strongly about that. Um, I, I know there's, you know, Peter Todd or, or the dark wallet guys. And those guys have a, uh, feel extremely strongly that, that those companies are a threat to Bitcoin. I, I personally don't view it that way. I think anything that helps Bitcoin grow, helps more people use Bitcoin is a good thing. Um, but I don't really, you know, I think in the end, you're going to have your choice, you know. 
Circle is not going to be able to stop you from taking your Bitcoins from your account and putting it to the blockchain or info wallet that you control yourself or your, your desktop client or something like that. Um, as long as as long as it's possible to send money to just some Bitcoin address, and if that's not possible anymore, we don't have Bitcoin anymore. But as long as that's possible, um, I think it's great. You you know people have a choice, right? So you can, you can do both. I think you can have a, totally a coexistence of, of this. Uh, I'm never going to give my private key to anyone, a clan, and uh, people who just want to use a better a better money. Uh, I see what you're saying, uh, but I, I think that we, we need to be super careful uh, that you know, those companies don't have enough power that they can uh, start doing things like withdrawal limits, you know, um, where then it becomes hard for you Wait, to get your money out. Withdrawal limits? What do you mean? Uh, well, for instance, uh, like, I mean, you look at your bank, right? If you try to spend, if you try to use your bank card to pay for something that's worth over, over 2000 euros, They'll, they'll 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 block that transaction unless you contact them first and allow you to do it. They do it for, for security purposes. I mean, it's good to have that option to set it. Even even if I I think that actually makes sense, right? That it, it doesn't Sappos already do something like that. Where you, I'm not sure. Or maybe they have this option. Maybe they don't. But I think it makes a lot of sense. No, you have a hosted wallet, and you say, hey, you know, I. I want to have a delay. Maybe some of it is like time locked for a week. And if somebody tries to take it out, it stays in there for a week and I can go back to them and call them and tell them, no, I didn't authorize this in case I get hacked. I think those kind of things are, are great. Um, and, and, you know, people are, are doing this or, or I think will make this possible if it's not already uh, with projects like uh, Counterparty and Ethereum, etc., that you have time-locked addresses, sort of like savings wallets, where you um, people can't, if you get hacked, they can't just take your money out. Um, and, and then, of course, hosting companies will offer things like that, too. So, um, uh, uh, there's one, one other topics perhaps we can touch on briefly before we wrap up, which is the sort of uh, big companies taking interest in Bitcoin and becoming involved in Bitcoin. And that's something that has been uh, surprising me. And that seems to be happening very rapidly and all over the place. At least that's my impression. Um, so it's sort of on the one hand, it's these uh, Bitcoin competitors, right? The company is doing, trying to do similar things, uh, or, or at least one could view them as Bitcoin competitors. So companies like Square and PayPal that have both integrated Bitcoin now, at least to some extent, or, or they're planning to. Uh, Stripe, same thing. Uh, I, we have the European uh, office of Stripe uh, just upstairs. And the guy told me that all they all they talk about is Bitcoin. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Uh, and you know they they funding the Stellar project. So so they, so they, you have these financial companies uh, moving into uh, Bitcoin, and then you have large merchants right that increasingly uh, adopt Bitcoin. And then you know you've had uh, things like the IBM people uh, wanting to do these blockchain Internet of Things stuff. Um, and I, I've been in contact quite a few times with uh, Axel Springer, which is a, 
the largest or one of the largest media companies in Germany, they as well, like all, all constantly thinking, oh, what can we do with Bitcoin meetings about them, calling everyone. Um, so there's a lot of things happening there. And, and I think that's across the board, you know, and I hear from people, I was like, oh, uh, at one point, uh, some guy from Deutsche Bank was supposed to come to our meetup. And you know, there's, there seems to be a lot of interest and in this happening before mainstream adoption. I, th I thought this, these companies would be slower, but they're really, um, they're really thinking about what's coming. And a lot of them, you have that interesting dynamic as well, that if it is coming, of course, right? Even if Bitcoin's coming and it's going to undermine the profits of the financial industry, overall i mean you can say as a as an industry overall that's a bad thing for us we want to prevent that but assuming you can prevent it the second best thing is you, you want to be the first company to move in there and get involved in bitcoin and then you know maybe it's going to decrease the overall profit of the banking industry but at least you're the bank that's in there first and it's in there the most active and i think we are seeing that dynamic i think we're seeing a lot of a lot of people seeing, oh, this is inevitable. I guess it's going to happen. So I better be among the first. Now, what are your thoughts on uh, on Apple Pay and how it's positioning itself as a payment system, and and how that will affect uh, you know other companies adopting Bitcoin rather than Apple Pay, for instance? Yeah, good question. So I, I'm not super expert on Apple Pay. Uh, I thought it's interesting, you know, if something like Square, right, they're going to take both. Um, and I saw an interesting uh, uh, sort of a chart or an infographic by, I think, uh, Coinapult. If you, if you look at it, you'll probably find it, um, where they showed, uh, you know, how many people have an iPhone, how many people are in the US, right? Because if you're not in the US, it's not going to work. Uh, and then off the sort of global uh, more smartphone penetration. And of course it's a tiny, tiny percentage. So it's just in terms of sort of reach. And if you think of developing countries, uh, people doing, uh, banking with their smartphones for the first time, uh, Apple pays so limited. Uh, so I don't think it competes with Bitcoin on that level. And of course it's not the currency. So you still have the old, uh, the old costs of, uh, of payments. Uh, that being said, I have no doubt that in terms of user experience, it's going to be like much better than what Bitcoin can do uh, for quite a while. Uh, you know, it's just going to be like smooth and amazing and it works and it's uncomplicated and secure and, and feels amazing. Of course, and they don't use QR codes. <laughs> they don't use this QR code scanning and, and I'm sure it will be great, you know, and I'm sure that, but, but who is using Bitcoin for a better user experience? <sighs> It, I know maybe online in some cases, you can say that's the case, right? It's actually easier to pay with Bitcoin. Uh, but, uh, you know, mostly people paying Bitcoin in, uh, in retail places. It's not about the user experience. It's because these people are passionate about Bitcoin. They want to support it. Right. And, and, and the user experience, you know, actually, that's another thing. Uh, I was totally wrong with my predictions at the beginning of the year. I was like... Oh, the user experience is going to improve a lot. Um, and especially about the payment protocol. And so if, if you don't remember what the payment protocol is, we did an episode about it. I think at some point you go back to it. But the basic idea is to make the sort of um, the flow, uh, the pay payments, especially in-person payments, a lot better. For me. 
and that hasn't happened at all. I don't think the user experience of, of paying with Bitcoin has really improved very much. At least not that I've noticed. What do you think? I, I think you're right, but I think there's a there's there's a question that 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 needs to be addressed with regards to user experiences. As as app developers, for instance, develop wallets that enable easy payments, uh, or say say Coinbase, uh, or no, take a company like. Um, uh, CoinKite, right? They develop a, uh, yeah. a, a terminal, a payment terminal. So they have a, let's say, a, a, a pretty good user experience when it comes to paying with Bitcoin. You're using your, you're using this card. It's something that you're used to, etc. But the problem with this is it, it creates these separate standards, right? Or the lack of standardization. I, I, I don't see how I, I have difficulty seeing how. We're going to standardize user experience. No, I think you totally and make right. It so that everybody, yeah. that everybody uses the same standards. So uh, whether that's NFC, you know, for for near near communication payment or uh, no, yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, I think the payment protocol probably wants to do some things in those directions, but I think overall, I agree because it relies on hardware, right? It's relying on hardware, and and even the hardware is non-standard. Like even NFC is not a standard. Yeah, the NFC in an Apple iPhone is not the same as on a on another device. So no, but I, I very much agree. I mean, I think that's why Apple Pay is just going to be awesome, right? It's going to work. Uh, and then with Bitcoin, that's much more difficult, right? You have these QR codes and sometimes they're too small, sometimes they're too large. It doesn't scan, but like it, it's, a, it's a bit of a mess. Um, and I'm sure over time this will increase, uh, improve, but I think you're right. I think the lack of standardization is a problem and I don't think that's going to change. Um, I, mean, I mean, we see that even in simple things as what unit you actually use. So, you know, like people right. use Bitcoin I, at some point last year, I think towards the end of last year, people were like, oh, this is too high. We need to switch to milli Bitcoins. In the newsletter, I actually switched to milli Bitcoins, right, milli Bitcoins. But somehow that didn't happen. And, and there was not like a coordinated switch. Like people still use for the most part Bitcoin. Um, some people proposed bits, uh, I'm not even sure what a bit is. This is like a million of Bitcoin or something like that. Um, so, so even there, even on something as simple as that, uh, we, it hasn't been possible to have a, a coordinated thing. So I think it is going to be very challenging. Uh, yeah, and, and on top of that, you know, Bitcoin development has grounded to a halt. So, <laughs> according to some people, <laughs> so so if if there's no Bitcoin development, how are we going to develop standards? No, I mean I'm I'm I'm, I'm teasing, but uh, let's uh, let's wrap this up. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Great show. I mean, uh, I really enjoyed uh, hanging out just two of us and and, uh, and talking about this stuff. It's uh, totally. it's good to. We should do this once in a while. I think I think we should do it every quarter. You know, we should we should use the state of Bitcoin report as a as a uh, sort of an excuse to just you know get together. We'll need some, we'll need some whiskey and cigars though. Because okay, you know, yeah, no, no, I think that's yeah. a, that's a, a fantastic idea. Uh, we'll do that yeah. next time. We'll get some uh, some drinks and we will do it again at the at the Q four state of Bitcoin report. No, I look forward to that already. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, well, thanks so much. Uh, thanks so much for listening and, and viewing. So we have some, we had some live viewers, which is great. Lots of fun. Uh, 
Yeah. We, I, I don't know if we didn't check the Twitter, but at some point we will, should have a chat room so people can actually um, uh, comment. Actually, so there is a chat room. Uh, so there's two ways that we can interact with people, in my, in my opinion. It would be easy. So one is that we have a QR code for every episode, and we'll tweet that QR code before the episode. And generally that would be like, EB45 for episode 45. Yeah. So uh, look, uh, follow us on Twitter. Look out for the for the uh, announcement. We usually announce the Hangouts several days in advance. Uh, also, Google Plus is a good place, uh, obviously, because that's where we announce the that's where we set up the Hangouts, so they get announced there. And if you go on the Hangout page, you can you can get into the Q and A session. So on the Hangout page, you'll see the video, and you can click on Q and A, and that brings you in, and you can ask questions live. So we'd really much like to have you know, people come in, especially when we have guests, so that they can come in and, and start asking questions and interacting with the guests. I, I think that would be fantastic. And of course, also that uh, going to especially those who listen uh, to us on audio, which is still like ninety nine point five percent or something of people. Uh, we are doing video now, so uh, you can check out our videos uh, on YouTube at uh, our username is Epicenter BTC, and we are doing also live hangouts, so you can actually watch it live and uh, you, know, you can ask us questions, give comments, etc. Um, and yeah, as Sebastian said, you can get that information on Twitter from us. Uh, one thing I want to mention before we go, uh, so just to remind everyone about about BTC2B that's uh, next week that's on the 16th and 17th I'll be there uh, both days I, I think I'm going to be there both days I'm not sure yet but I'm pretty sure I'm staying overnight. So I'm actually speaking there. I'm doing a, par a panel, a marketing panel uh, moderated by Richard Catano and uh, Bitcoin Marketing. So the, actually the, the preliminary agenda just came out today, I think. So if you go to btc2b.com, you can see it there. should be a good conference. It, I think it'll be pretty small. It's at a small venue just outside of Brussels. But I think, I think it'll be fun. I think uh, the, the, there'll be some good, there some good speakers there. Adam Vaziri, Stanislav Wolf, uh, Vitalik is there, uh, Matt Rozak. Uh, so yeah, and, and lots of top, different topics being covered. Uh, so if you're there, definitely, definitely uh, let me know uh, if you want to get some drinks or something in Brussels. And you can get 15% off by using the code Epicenter when you register on btc2b.com. And just very briefly, uh, also, Manny Rosenfeld, uh, some of you may know him, he's the chairman of the Israeli Bitcoin Foundation, and we're going to have him on the podcast in a few weeks. But he's asked me uh, uh, to just mention that they're doing Inside Bitcoin's conference in Tel Aviv on October 19th and 20th. So if you're interested, uh, you know, check that out too. Um, and uh, we don't have a discount code for that, but if you, if you want to buy a ticket, email us and we can probably get you a discount code for that. Um, so yeah, that's October 19th and 20th with lots of speakers as Vitalik Buterin, David Johnson, many Rosenfeld who we're going to have on, Peter Todd, etc. Um, so yeah. And by the way, our email is show at epicenterbitcoin.com for any, any reason, any reason you want to email us. Yeah. You can email us at show at epicenterbitcoin.com. Yeah. So thanks so much for listening and absolutely do get in touch. We'd uh, love to have uh, some interaction with our audience. Let us know what you think. If you have some questions, some topics, something we should know about. Uh, so do that. Follow us on Twitter at EpicenterBTC. You can also donate to us. Of course, we do appreciate that. And that's at uh, EpicenterBitcoin.com slash uh, tips. Uh, we do send out a newsletter every Friday. So that's going out tomorrow. And you can uh, sign up at EpicenterBitcoin.com slash newsletter. And I think that's it.
Yeah, well, I, one, one, one last thing. Uh, I think we should mention uh, who we have on on Sunday. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Why don't you do that? So we have uh, Sean Wilkinson of uh, Storage. Yeah, so Storage, uh, for those who don't know, is one of those uh, decentralized cloud storage projects. So there's quite a few, uh, BitCloud, Storage, I guess it's MadeSafe sort of related to that. I'm sure he can tell us more about it on Sunday. Uh, and and Storage, I think, is one of the... Uh, best known of them and maybe oldest i don't know uh, but so yeah it's, it's something i really look forward to it's one of those uh, exciting sort of decentralized apps that people often talk about and perhaps the first one that is really going to work because there's so many projects trying to do that, that same thing and trying to decentralize a sort of a, a fundamental um, internet service as in cloud storage so it's an episode i really look forward to so well so that's at uh, 4 p.m utc on sunday so you guys can figure that out on Google. <laughs> I don't know where you are, but so it's it's, it's sixteen hundred UTC. Yeah, uh, yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening, and we'll be back on Sunday. <laughs>